good, goodness of God uh, in the land of the living, as King David said. So, uh, so praise God. All right, welcome uh, everybody to uh, class number 10. Class number 10. I don't know why I always think of these different uh, milestones. Uh, so we're moving into the double digits now. So last week it was uh, class nine was one quarter of the classes. And so now we're into double digits. But anyway, we are um, excited. We'll be talking about the uh, ministry of reconciliation tonight, and so that's a, that's a big word, uh, the ministry of reconciliation, and of course we see that the word reconciliation or reconcile, uh, we see that word uh, a lot uh, in the New Testament, and I'm excited to uh, not just explain to you what it means, but explain to you what it means in light of your purpose and grace that was given to you and to me in Christ Jesus before time began. So uh, exciting times for sure. We're going to do a lot of teaching tonight, and uh, I believe the Holy Spirit uh, is going to help us. Amen. Are you in agreement with me? All right, let's pray as we get rolling. Father, thank you for your great mercy. Thank you for your kindness, for your kindness. Father, we have all experienced people uh, in our lives and folks we may run into, men and women who are kind to us. And Lord, uh, they're a reflection of you because, Lord, you are kind. And we thank you for your kindness to us tonight. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you, Father, for your goodness to us and your hand upon us. And, Father, as we uh, move forward into what you've prepared for us tonight, I thank you for helping us bring our hearts to attention. Lord, I thank you for a supernatural strength and energy and the ability to focus. Uh, Lord, I know a lot of us in this room have already had a pretty long day, Father, and we're just getting started with class. But I thank you for helping us hear and receive, Lord, what you desire to plant into our lives, uh, Lord, and uh, water in our hearts and bring forth fruit, Lord, for your glory and for our blessing and the, and the blessing and benefit of others. So thank you. For this time together, thank you for those who have committed themselves, Lord, to these classes, but even in a bigger sense, committed themselves to you and your process of discipling and your process of growing us up into Jesus. Thank you for good things, Father, now in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. So praise God. One more time, the Ministry of Reconciliation, class number 10. Um, let's go straight to it tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll begin at verse number 14, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. And we're going to look at quite a few verses, uh, verses 14 through 21. 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. All right, if y'all got, give me just a second here. For some reason, the uh, slides aren't wanting to change, but there they go. All right, good. Thank you, Lord. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and if I look like I've been out in the sun, those of you watching online, we had to update all the firmware on the camera and the, and the, and the anyway, uh, the colors aren't exactly right and the words and the video aren't exactly right. And those kinds of details really um, are important to me. And, but anyway, we're going to just press on through it and I appreciate you being patient with me just as my Heavenly Father uh, is, uh, is patient with me. So praise God. All right, so again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. And if you'll notice on the, um, uh, the subheading there underneath this, uh, I have, have written the crossroads of many important doctrines, okay? <laughs> the crossroads of many important doctrines. What does that mean? That means in these verses, uh, verses 14 through 21, we're, we're going to see a lot of really important truth 
uh, coming together and 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 finding its place alongside uh, other very important uh, truth and very important things for us to understand. That may not make a lot of sense to you right now as we get started, but you know, but as we work our way through, I'll certainly be careful to to point these things out now. One of the reasons, one of the reasons uh, that uh, the Bible says in the last days, people will always be learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth, has to do with the way they are taught things. Okay, and if we and if we uh, know what the word understanding means biblically, understanding means to assemble pieces of a puzzle together. And have you ever heard the expression "a jack of all trades but a master of none"? And we often say that about someone who can do a little bit of everything, but, but can't do a lot of anything, all right? And in the same way, there are a lot of people, a lot of God's children in the body of Christ, they know a little bit about a lot of things from the Bible, but they don't know a lot about anything, all right? And so that's the idea of a jack of all trades, but master of none. I'm going I'm to change some words on you, okay? A jack of all doctrines, but a master of none. And so one of the things that discipleship in general is about, and certainly discipleship Discipleship class, these, this set of 36 classes, is to take an important teaching from the Bible and really drill down into it. So in a 30-minute you know, class, a 15-minute devotional, a 45-minute sermon, uh, we really just don't have the time to, to you know, go, the big word is exhaustively. Have you ever heard that expression? An exhaustive concordance. Exhaustive means we've exhausted every verse in the Bible, okay? And, and I'm not saying we will exhaust every verse in the Bible as it relates to certain top, topics or subjects, but we, we will spend a lot of time looking at it place after place after place after place, okay? And so that's what we mean by... Uh, you know, drilling down in and 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 deepening our understanding, uh, and 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 being able to uh, again not just understand. Like one of the first things we'll see that we look at as we work our way through these verses is this is this is the doctrine of it's a big word like mayonnaise uh, of Jesus's substitutionary work. I don't know if you ever heard that. Okay, and and those are really uh, you know kind of official sounding words. But all that simply means is what Jesus did for you as you. He came as your substitute, as my substitute, and what he did for you and what he did as you. Okay, we're going to see that one of the first ones, and so. There are people who understand Jesus' substitutionary work, but they don't really understand where it fits or how it fits in with other things. Okay, Now, every person has their place. You understand what I'm saying? What you're called to do may not be exactly what I'm called to do. And, and that's why we're individual members of one body. And the Bible has a lot to say about that, for example. You know, the thumb doesn't have the same purpose as the elbow. Uh, but yet the thumb and the elbow work together for a, a bigger purpose. And, and so one of my purposes, and I know this, okay, one of my purposes is to help people connect uh, things that they know uh, about God with other things that they know about God to see the bigger picture and to see how uh, you know, these things fit together and work together so that ultimately, ultimately we can see very clearly who God is, but also we can see very clearly who we are in Him and what our purposes are. What, you know, why did He create us in the first place? Why has He paid such a high price for us? What is man that thou art mindful of Him and the Son of Man that you visit Him? And so again, all these things that are so extremely important 
And there's a lot of people, again, who have a limited or we could even say shallow uh, understanding of these things, but we want to deepen our roots but also see how they connect together. So when we say it's the crossroads of many doctrines, there are things, for example, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, will, will, will teach on and talk about. Then there are other things he'll teach on and talk about. But in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21, we see these things all converging together. And so I know this may be a little bit of an exaggeration, but maybe not. Okay, let me, let me say it this way, okay? More than likely, more than likely, um, something we read tonight will be a part of every class we have from this point forward. Okay? Um, in other words, there are things here that, that we will touch on briefly tonight, but in, in coming classes, we will unpack and we will dig into. Um, and, and, and so, again, some very, very uh, important things. Praise God. Let me see what other. Wanna, and I, for some reason, I keep feeling compelled to mention this. Um, this is our 20th year of discipleship class, and this is where we we used to start, okay? Uh, years ago, we, you know, first day, class one, open your Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. And, and I'm saying that because there is a, this is the biblical foundation, if you will, for these classes. Remember, the ultimate title of this class is not discipleship class. The ultimate title of this class is discipleship counselor training class. And the idea is to help uh, born-again believers find their place, and do the work of the ministry. And the ministry, I'll get a little bit ahead of myself, but the ministry that we've all been given is found in these verses. And it's called the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. All right, so that's enough preliminary. Let's, let's, uh, let's dive into this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll begin at verse number 14. He says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. Okay? One more time. The love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. Judge means they've come, he has come to a conclusion. All right? He has, has reached a level of understanding that provides a basis, right, that, 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 that brings him to uh, an understanding, a, a, a reason for, so to speak, okay? And so he says, the love of Christ compels us because we judge, we've determined, we've come to this conclusion that if one died for all, then all died. So notice, notice now, right out of the gates, right out of the gates, we've, we've come to this substitutionary work of Jesus, crossroads of many doctrines. The Bible has a lot to say about what Jesus has done for you and how we connect into and how we uh, relate to what he's done for us. Let me just real quick, like, I, 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 if I'm not careful, we'll spend the whole class on the first couple of verses here because there's so much that's being stated by this one little excerpt. If one died for all, then all died. How about this one? The Apostle Paul says, I was crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Right? So what is he saying? He's saying that when Jesus died, I died with him. I died too. When Jesus was buried, I was buried with him. We were buried with Christ. We were raised up together with Christ to newness of life. All of these things are the backstory, if you will, of our salvation, of how it is that we became what he's fixing to talk, to, uh, talk about here in, in a few verses. We became new creations in Christ Jesus. 
right? So our becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus began with, if one died for all, then all died. And of course, you notice that the O in one is capitalized. This is, of course, referring to Jesus. Now, before we get any further, though, let's back up because verse 14 begins with, for the love of Christ compels us. There are different translations that use different words here. Um, one word that's used, I think, in the King James Version is it constrains us. Okay, So we see constrained, we see restrained, or restraineth, constraineth. Okay, um, I like the, the New King James Version that we're looking at now, compels us. But most importantly is for us to understand what he's saying here. And what he's saying here is that... What motivates him to do what he does is his understanding of the love that Jesus has for every person. The love that Jesus has for every person. He said, this is what compels me. This is what constrains me. This, this is what keeps me in check. This is what uh, you know, compels me uh, towards a certain purpose and towards a certain assignment and towards a certain uh, you know, branch of ministry, so to speak, or an area of ministry. Now, this is really important because we've said over and over again that every born-again believer is called to do the work of the ministry. Amen? And that includes you. You were given, as we said last week, purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began. And the sweet spot of life for you and me is finding what that purpose is and fulfilling that purpose. Now, within, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, the ministry of reconciliation is what we see is the ministry that's been given to us. Whether you understand what that means or not, you've been given that ministry, okay? But how you function in that ministry may be slightly different than the way some other person functions in the ministry of reconciliation, but it all comes under that one umbrella, okay? The ministry of reconciliation. But let me say this, and this is extremely important. Love needs to be what motivates us. The love that God has for us and the love that God has for other people. That's why it's very important that we have a revelation and understanding, a supernatural impartation of understanding of the love that God has, not just for us, but for every human being. So when he says the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died, what is he saying? Paul's recognizing that, you know, it began with him understanding how much Jesus loved him and him realizing how much, you know, the, the love was demonstrated when Jesus, uh, you know, died for him. But after he realized that for himself, he then realized he didn't just do it for me. He did it for every person and it was that love that Jesus had for every person that compelled or constrained Paul to do what he did in his life and with his life. Now, this, I don't know if you've been bowling lately, um, but they have something new in bowling alleys. And it's the ability to put bumpers up so that it's impossible to bowl a gutter ball. Has anybody, anybody seen that, right? So I, I think they did that maybe for, to make, bowling more family friendly so that you know small children could bowl and and so you push the button and up comes uh these uh, little bumpers and it prevents the ball from going into the gutter right why am i telling you that story because i got bowling on my mind no what i'm telling i'm telling you that because those little bumpers compel the bowling ball to its destination 
those bumpers keep the ball from going off course. And if the ball does go off course, it bumps into something, this little, you know, thing this, that, that comes up, you know, uh, curb that comes up. It, it bumps it and, it and it compels it back in the direction that it was supposed to go. And what we see, for example, this was not just a revelation that God gave to the Apostle Paul. We see that he also gave it to John, who then passed it along to the church in 1 John chapter 3, where he talks about, the, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. And we should be called children of God because we are children of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we know that we will be like him. And whoever has, watch this now, whoever has this confidence in them, whoever has this understanding of the love that God has for them and what difference his love has made in their lives, the Bible says it will motivate that person. It will compel that person. Watch this now to purify their lives, even as Christ is pure. Okay. I don't have that verse right here, but I'm just trying to help you weave some things together. So understanding how much he loves us provides the motivation for effective ministry. It provides the motivation for, um, uh, living a life that pleases God. He wants you to do it because you want to do it. He wants you to respond to Him and listen to Him and follow Him because of the great love that He has shown to you. And the more you understand how much He loves you, the more motivated you will be to, to do what He wants you to do. And the more motivated you will be to get the junk out of your life, amen, that would interfere with your fellowship with Him, all right? But watch this now. It'll also, the, if you are compelled by love to do what you do, you will be much more effective, much more effective, right? Why is that? Because people know whether or not you love them. Amen. People know whether or not you love them, right? Whether or not you're, you're trying to minister to them or speak into their lives because you genuinely care about them or because you've, you know, designated them as some challenging ministry project that's going to make you feel better about yourself. All right. Okay. Enough of that. So we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. That's referring to the substitutionary work of Jesus on behalf of every person. All right. Now, Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Right? (laughs) Those two verses have got a lot in them, right? So... He continues the thought in verse 15. That's why it begins with a lowercase a, okay? And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves. So we also see uh, this teaching in the Bible that Jesus' life became an example for us to look to and learn from. Because what we see in Scripture, and this may be surprising to some of you, but what we see in Scripture, and I'll show it to you as we unpack these things later down the road, is that everything Jesus did on this earth, He did as a man in right standing with God, full of the Holy Spirit, functioning as one with His Father. Jesus had to be anointed by the Holy Spirit in order to perform a miracle. Jesus had to receive power from God by way of the Holy Spirit coming upon him and remaining upon him before he ever performed the first miracle. You see, we we have this tendency to look at the life of Jesus and see all that he did 
and say, yeah, but that was Jesus. Yeah, but that was Jesus. Yeah, but that was Jesus. Without ever understanding that Jesus emptied himself of everything that made him God and came to this earth again as a man who never sinned, born of a virgin. He was not born of the corrupted seed of Adam. He was born of the, of the Spirit of God, of the Word of God, born from above. So again, he, he did not have a fallen nature in him like every other human being. But what we see, though, is that everything he did, even finding himself in the Scriptures, Jesus found himself in Isaiah. We read it, right? He, he found himself. He found his assignment. He found his, his purpose, his, his, his mission, if you will. Praise God. And so what he did on this earth, he did as a man to set an example for you and me to look to and follow. So what he's saying here is that Again, if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. See, that was the mistake Adam and Eve made, right? They wanted to do it their way. They wanted to live for themselves. And he's saying that we're being called out of this approach to life and living where we're living for ourselves, but instead we're living for him. We're living for, for Jesus. We're living for our Father because what he died for us and rose again. Now, connected to this... Connected to this teaching, this doctrine, is this idea that you are not your own, that you've been bought with a price, that your life is not your own to do with as you please. Amen. Now that makes some people nervous, but if you'll, if you'll uh, really begin to meditate on that and really begin to submit yourself to that, uh, you'll be amazed at how much more peace you experience in your life. When you acknowledge, amen, that, that you belong to, to, to Father and that, and that Jesus paid a high price um, for you. But again, we are not living for ourselves, but we're living for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, from this point forward, in light of these things, that's what, anytime you see a therefore, it's, it's, one, it's a connecting word. It's connecting uh, things that you just heard, that you just learned, that was just revealed to you with, um, with more important things that are, that are resting on that truth. Okay, So, therefore, from now on, in light of these things, in light of what Jesus has done for every person, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Okay, now, come on, I know that this is a little, di I, I told you and I'll remind you, all of these classes have a little bit different flavor. And when I say different flavor, not just in the content of the class, but how the class is presented. Okay, and so I, I, I really like to, um, you know, relay personal stories to you, personal experiences to you, things that the Lord has taught me and how it's produced this result in my life. And certainly we've, we've, we've done that and we'll continue to do that. Right. But what we're basically doing right now is is one of the uh, what I, what's the right way of saying this? Praise God. This, this is line upon line teaching. This is expository teaching where we're just taking uh, a passage of Scripture out of the Bible, breaking it down verse by verse, line by line, in some cases, word by word to uh, really unpack and, and, and explain what's being stated and what's being written here okay and so this is important but listen to me now not not everybody has developed a taste for this all right and so but but how do you develop a taste for something i developed a taste for salad by eating salad 
Okay? Because I realize, you know what, Sally, my wife will tell you my food groups are meat, potatoes, and chocolate. Okay? And, uh, and, and, so, and so, amen. So, you know, how do you develop a taste for something that you not really have a taste for? You have to just start eating it, right? You have to, you have to change your diet. Remember, where God's wanting to take you is going to require a different diet. Amen? He brought them out of, out of Egypt. To bring them into the promised land, he fed them manna until they got to the Jordan River. But now we got to get off the manna and we got to get on the meat and the potatoes and the vegetables because there's giants in the land, right? And so when we when we talk about what we're doing right now, this is this is like protein. Amen. This is meat. Amen. This is not the milk of the word. Are you are you understand what I'm saying? Amen. All right. So, but I'm I'm wanting you. I, I've tried to figure out a better way to do this. Uh, that maybe would engage people more readily and and interest people more quickly. But again, there's really no other way to do it. But because again, we have these verses in the order that we have them in because he's not just wanting us to take one verse out of the mix. As important as that one verse is, as, as important as the teaching that's contained within that one verse is. But the idea here, again, is the crossroads of many doctrines. So that we can see, like I told you last week, that your salvation is for a purpose. It's not just grace for grace's sake, right? But we've, we've been born again and we are seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places. But not just so we can get to heaven one day when we die. Anybody remember this? But it's, it's the reverse of that. He's trying to get heaven in you. So that you can then use the resources of heaven to make a difference in the lives of other people here on this earth. And so we talk about these, you know, the, the crossroads and for us to see the bigger picture. He's talking about Jesus' substitutionary work. He's talking about the love that's been given to us, right? And he's leading up to this idea of our, our having been given the ministry of reconciliation. But he's, he's wanting you to see the ministry that you've been given in light of all that's been done for you, in light of the transformation that's taken place deep inside of you, in light of the love that Father God has for you, in light of the way Father God sees you, right? Because if you can learn to see yourself the way He sees you, then you are one step closer to being able to see other people the way He sees them. Amen. Are you with me? So Jesus would say things like this to the disciples. He would say, hey guys, you know, uh, lift up your heads and look at the people, right? And they're like looking at Jesus like, you don't think we can see those people? You know, I mean, it's like, we can see those people. Could the disciples see the people? Yes, they could see the people. But were they seeing the people the way Jesus was seeing them? No, they were not seeing them the way Jesus was seeing them, okay? On some occasions, they saw the people as a nuisance. On some, on some occasions, they saw the people as a bother, right? You know what I'm saying? Jesus is like, hey, we need to feed these people. And they're like, man, Jesus, let them go find their own food. We didn't tell them to come out here where there's no restaurants. You know, that was kind of their attitude towards it, right? But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, they're like sheep with no shepherd. They're vulnerable. They, they need someone to lead them. They need someone uh, that, that cares about them, that, that's willing to go the extra mile for them and help them, right? So Jesus is seeing them from a completely different perspective than the disciples were seeing them. Okay? But the disciples were seeing themselves from a completely different perspective than the one Jesus was, was seeing them with, right? So the idea is before we can ever see it in another person, we've got to see it in ourselves. Amen. Amen. All right. So this verse 16 is, like all of these verses, it is such a significant verse. Because he's literally saying from this point forward, we're not going to look at people the way we've always looked at them. 
From this point forward, based upon, therefore, based upon, if one died for all, then all died. Based upon the love that compels us. Based upon, right? Therefore, that's what he's saying. Based upon these things. Based upon, we're no longer living for ourselves. But we're, we have chosen to live for the one who died for us and rose again. And we were raised up together with. Okay? He says, so we, we are making a very important choice. From now on, from this point forward, we regard no one according to the flesh. Okay? Now, let's stop here. Some of you have heard me teach on this before. But remember, this is another important doctrine that's being woven in here. All right? You are a spirit. You have a soul. And you live in a body. Your flesh is um, the outward part of you. The outward man. But it's your spirit and your soul the Bible calls your inward man. You are a three-dimensional being. And so when he says from this point forward, we regard no one according to the flesh. One translation I'll read to you here in just a moment. It says we, we don't regard people according to their outward appearances. Now, we don't have to you know, just remain in the New Testament for these things. These truths are eternal truths. You can find them in the Old Testament. David is a classic example. When the prophet came to Jesse's house to choose the next king of Israel, David's father didn't even think enough of David to bring him into the lineup, right? And yet Samuel goes down all of these uh, sons, and, and he's looking at all of them, and you got the one that's tall and handsome and educated and played quarterback in high school and, and was working on his MBA, and you think he's got to be the next king. But that ain't him, right? And he's looking around and, and uh, you know, if you've ever been in a position like this, you know, I'm sure Samuel's like, Lord, I know you sent me down here and I know you said it was one of his sons, but, but it ain't none of them. I know that. And so he says, oh, wait a second. Is this all your sons, Jess? And he's like, I, I, I mean, no, we've got, I've got one more. You know, I mean, he wears his hair long and plays a guitar and he sits out there with the sheep all the time and he's a little bit odd, but bring him to me, Right. Because what do we see? What was, the, what was one of the main conclusions from that whole episode? What did God say? I do not look on the outward appearance. Where does God look? I look on the heart. I look on the heart. Amen. So notice that's what he's saying here from, from now on. We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. So literally there were people present that still alive on planet earth that that knew Jesus on this earth as a human being okay and what did we read from Isaiah that he looked like other people it wasn't like he you know I know what artists are trying to do and I don't mean to try to get jokes at their expense you know but but you know you, you get Jesus walking around you know with this kind of like pale pasty look on his face and this little glowing thing around his head and he's, he's petting a sheep or something like this you know and it just looks odd you know what I'm saying? And, but that's, the prophet said that's, that's not how it was. That if you just looked at Jesus standing in a group of people, you know, based upon his outward appearance, he didn't look any different from anybody else, right? And so when he says, you know, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer, what is he saying? He's saying, remember when we all used to think Jesus, you know, maybe he was the Messiah, maybe he wasn't, maybe he was a prophet, maybe he wasn't, maybe he was just a good teacher, maybe he wasn't. In other words, where the jury was still out on Jesus and we weren't really sure about him, but now we know for sure who he really is, right? That's, that's kind of the flavor of this. This, this is what he's, he's uh, communicating here. Let, let me see if I can say it another way. 
Remember how we came to the understanding that there was more to Jesus than met the eye, <laughs> that there was more going on inside of him than, than his ex exterior appearance uh, uh, gave away initially? He says, in the same way that there's more to Jesus than meets the eye, there's more to people that we are called to minister to than meets the eye. Amen. See, one, one of the things that we do, even in just sharing the love of, of, of God with somebody, if we're not careful, we will sum them up by their outward appearance and make a decision before we ever even consult with God or the Word of God, amen, as to whether or not we, we should say anything to that person. You know, well, uh, he, the way he looks, the way she looks, the way she dresses, the way he dresses, they won't hear nothing about us. They don't care nothing about us. Again, notice we're, we're basing this on their outward appearance, okay? An effective minister of reconciliation is able to see beyond even unsavory outward appearance and conduct. Amen. Amen. Are you hearing me? Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no, no longer. Now, there's one last thing I want to say about this, for, at least for now, before we move on, okay? If we're going to decide that from this point forward, we're not going to judge people or regard people or determine, you know, conclusions, reach conclusions about them according to, the, uh, according to their flesh... Again, flesh is appearance and behavior, what you can see outwardly about someone and base our opinion on them uh, according to the flesh. If we're going to decide to do this, are you with me now? This is really important. If we're going to decide to do this, it's got to start with the person looking back at you in the mirror. It's got to start with you. Amen. It's got to start with you. What do I mean by that? You are more than the sum of all of your successes and failures. You are much more than the sum of all the good things you've done and all the wrong things you've done, bad things you've done. Amen. You are much, much more than that. And yet Satan would have you look at your outward appearance, your own behavior, what you project right now through your flesh. Amen. And let that be what determines your opinion of yourself. Can't do that. Can't do that. Listen to me. There's greatness in you. There's more to you than meets the eye. The very Son of the living God lives inside of you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. You have within you right now the ability to speak with new tongues, cast out demons, lay your hands on the sick, and the sick recover. Whether you, listen to me. Whether you ever do that or not, amen, it doesn't, change the, it doesn't change what the Bible says about who you are and whose you are and who lives in you and the potential that you uh, possess as a son or daughter of the Most High God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. All right. Now, guess what? It keeps going, right? So let's go back here. Verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. And here's the verse of all of these that you may be the most familiar with. Verse number 17. Therefore, another therefore, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, there are so many words here that we could spend so much time on. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Behold means to take a long and thoughtful look. Behold means to spend some time considering. Behold means to, hey, check it out. Okay? 
And so if you're going to behold something, that means you're going to have to do more than glance at it. If you're going to, to behold something means more than, than just give it a, a passing thought. But he's talking about spending some time here. Now, I want you to compare what he's saying in verse 17 to, again, and connect with, compare and connect with what he says in verse number 16. First of all, as it relates to you, but then also as it would relate to how you see and, and would care for and try to help somebody else. Amen. That the reality of it is, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. Your outward behavior and appearance may not reflect that yet, but it doesn't change, right? It doesn't change the truth that if you're in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. And old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, I think one of the most important things that we could ever understand about life and living is what we've already stated tonight and we've already stated just about every other class that we've had in the, in the first nine. And that understanding is you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. The deepest part of you, the real you, is your spirit. Remember the mistake Nicodemus made. How can a man, when he's full grown, go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You must be born again. Born again and salvation go hand in hand. We receive salvation through the new birth. We'll spend a whole class on that in the days to come. All right. We receive salvation through the new birth. The new birth is a literal experience. It's not figurative. It's not imaginative. We're not talking about a metaphor here. We're talking about something that literally happens. What part of you is born again when you receive salvation and the new birth? It's your spirit. Your soul is not born again. That's the part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses. Your mind, emotions, and will. That's your soul. Your body, your flesh, your outward person... That part of you is not born again. If you have gray hair before you're born again, more than likely you're going to have gray hair after you've been born again. That's not one of those things that became new. What did become new is your born again spirit, the real you, the part of you that will live forever or die forever somewhere. Thank God I believe I'm talking to born again men and women right now. So that's the part of you that's going to live forever somewhere. Amen. That somewhere is going to be with our Heavenly Father and then whatever assignment He has for us after that. Amen. Okay, you still with me? Am I going too fast? All right. So that, these are the things. Because Satan is banking on you and me thinking of ourselves as a flesh first, flesh only being living for and by the flesh, thinking that the flesh is all that there is, thinking that the flesh tells the whole story, thinking that if, if, it, if we can't find it, touch it, taste it, smell it, see it, hear it, that it's not real, that it's not true, right? He, he, people have gotten trapped into that method and, and mode of living and trying to live and trying to succeed and trying to be successful without ever understanding that when you were born again, you became something that you could never make yourself. You became a new creation in Christ Jesus. I've told you from class one, I'll remind you again, one of my favorite definitions of discipleship is this. Discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. And what we see is that the outward part of us the outward part of us does not reflect fully the inward part of us. We've talked about the inward realities of the new birth becoming outward expressions of life. Yes, 
Anybody remember that class? Okay. Inward realities of the new birth becoming outward expressions of life. So this is, this is what he's saying here, that from now on we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, but now we know him thus no longer. We know that there was more in him than we initially could see from his outward man. And he says, in the same identical way, there's more in you than you can see looking at yourself in the mirror. Amen. Or let me say this, a natural mirror. Because we also see that we have another mirror to look into. Amen? And that mirror is the Word of God. And it's only by looking into the mirror of God's Word that you can see who you really are as a new creation in Christ Jesus. But what did James say? James said we look into the mirror, we see a reflection of who we became the day we became a new creation in Christ Jesus, but we walk away from that mirror and straightway forget what manner, what kind of, of person that we now are. And therefore, we continue to live like mere men when the Bible says you are no longer a mere human being, but you, you have become uh, a, a God-class being born of the Spirit and Word of God. Amen? Whew, get excited about this. There's a lot here. I'm telling you there's a lot here. But th this is, I, I, said something, um, I said something last Wednesday night uh, in, in the sermon, those guys that, that were here. And, and it's so simple, but... You know, as I was listening to that message again myself, and, you know, um, I said this and I thought, man, that's so true. I need to say that more, okay? You are a really big deal to God. See, the, the, Satan's job is to try to trivialize you, to marginalize you. To trivialize something means to make less of it than it really is. To make light of something uh, that we should not make light of. To, to see something as being uh, insignificant when it's really significant and important. To, to consider something as not really you know, having any kind of impact or purpose when it has tremendous purpose and tremendous impact. So it's Satan who's tried your entire life to trivialize you, to, to, to make you feel less than. That's why so many people struggle with inferiority. It's why so many people struggle with low self-esteem and poor self-image. That's Satan is behind that. He's trying to get you to, to consider yourself as, as, as nothing, as nobody. He wants you to think of yourself as being measly and as, as, as the devil being mighty and, and you're just at the you know, mercy of anything that comes along and you can't do anything about anything and, and, and you know, whatever uh, luck of the genetic draw that determines your makeup and, and, and uh, you know, well, you know, my, my, my grandmother had depression and it runs in my family and it, you know, it's all these lies that the devil tells us and all these things that, 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 that the enemy tries to, again, impress upon us his deceptions, his lies, things that we embrace, things that we believe, amen, that are absolutely positively not true about you as a born again son and daughter of God. Amen. 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 So now, again, let, let's, let's go back to it. You say, well, Pastor Mark, what's, what's the deal? Remember, discipleship is about finding out. It's about discovering you don't come to this class to be more righteous. If you've been born again, you've been made just as right with God in the eyes of God as Jesus. Well, look at that here. It's verse 21. Okay, we haven't got there yet, right? But amen. But now, but now watch this. It's one thing to be made righteous, but it's, a, it's another thing to discover the righteousness that you've been made. See, you can be made righteous through the new birth, but still think of yourself as a sinner Still see yourself as a sinner, 
And you're going to still live like a sinner even though you're not a sinner anymore. So this is where, anybody ever heard this one? I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. That comes straight out of the pits of hell. That is a lie from the devil. That is a, there is no such thing as a sinner saved by grace. It's an impossibility. If you've been saved by grace, you were a sinner. Watch this now. Identity, who you really were, your, that spirit in you, that dead spirit in you, that nature in you was that of a sinner. But when you were born again, one died for all, all died. We were buried with him. That old you was buried in an unmarked grave. And then when Jesus came up out of the grave, you came up out of that grave with him to a new life as a new creature who is now just as right with God the Father as Jesus is because you were made that through this new birth. He made you something you could never make yourself. So your spirit was born again, and that is a past-completed work. That's why the Bible speaks of your salvation in past tense. All right? But now watch this. You have a soul, and your soul was not born again. Your mind, your emotions, and your will are now in a process of being renewed and reconditioned. Amen. This is a huge part of what discipleship is all about. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. Anybody remember what repent means? Metanous, a new way of looking at things, a new way of thinking. Amen. You see, you can be a born again man or woman, but because you still think like the old person you were instead of the new person you became, you're going to continue to live like that old person that you were instead of the new person you became. So it's the renewing of the mind brings the transformation of the life reality. Oh, there's some important stuff here. We will spend multiple classes on this. Multiple classes on this. But notice now, again, I'm just trying to show you how this is the intersection of multiple important teachings. And there's, it's just like one after the other after the other. I'm just like, man, it's just rapid fire right here. Why is it rapid fire here? It's because he's wanting you to see that these aren't just standalone truths. That all of these things come together. In other words, because one died for all and all died, we now have become new creations in Christ Jesus. We've been born again. Oh, sweet Jesus. Thank you, Father. Old things have passed away. Behold, a few things have become new. Is that what it says? Check it out. You know, it's 50-50 now. You got half new and half old. No, everything, everything about you became new. And then the Holy Spirit sealed the newness. He sealed the newness so the newness can't get out and the oldness can't get back in. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now, where are we? We're in Hueytown, Alabama. Let's get focused here again. Okay. So watch this now. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Not will be. Not will be. Are. You are a new creation. There's more to you than meets the eye. You, you've got stuff in you that you don't even know you have. You've been given things that you don't even know are yours. You've been blessed in ways that your mind can't comprehend. The access that you have 
the position that you have, the standing that you have, the nature that you have. Listen to me, please. Seed determines the nature of a thing. The only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it. That's why you must be born again of a different seed. We were initially born of the corrupted seed of Adam, which produced within us the corrupted sin nature of Adam. But we've now been born a second time from the incorruptible seed of the Word of God so that we now have become a partaker of the divine nature. The Bible says that you now have the nature of God in you. The nature of God in you. Inward reality of the new birth. You have now become a partaker, uh, having an equal share of the divine nature of God. His nature has now become your nature because you were born a second time of His seed. The world and religion will try to sell you a lie that you now have two natures. No such thing. No such thing as two natures. Well, you know, I mean, that old sin nature, that sin nature, Jesus destroyed it. Jesus murdered it. He buried it. Are you hearing me? You, if you're born again, it is not your nature to sin. It is not your nature to want to sin. You say, well, why in the world do I still sin? Why in the world do I still want to, Pastor Mark? You're confusing me. No, no, don't, don't be confused. When that old spirit was, was ripped out of you and buried... It left some residue on your mind. It left some residue in your thinking. And you start, you still think like that. And because you still think like that, the devil says, see, nothing changed about you. If you really were a Christian, you wouldn't want to do that stuff. If you really were saved, if you really were saved, you just a mealy mouth mocking devil. If you really were saved, you wouldn't do those things. You're not saved. Nothing's changed. Nothing's different. He's lying to you. Everything has changed. It's all changed. You don't have two natures. Don't you dare believe any preacher telling you that. They're lying. They're lying. They're preaching experience instead of the Word of God. And they do err not knowing the Scriptures nor the Word of God. I get stirred up about this. See, the devil's the one that's behind confusion. The enemy wants you confused. The enemy wants you, you know, constantly wondering, well, where do I stand with God? Let me tell you where you stand with God. You're seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places. That's where you stand with God. Because of what Jesus has given to you and because of what Jesus has done for you and because of what you have received from Him, amen, Father now has the luxury of treating you like your sin never happened. Amen. Amen. He doesn't regard you according to your flesh. He doesn't regard you according to your flesh. Thank you, Jesus. So why are we regarding ourselves according to the flesh? Amen. Amen. All right, so. Are y'all hearing me tonight? Please tell me you're hearing me tonight. See, th th these, are the, these are the things. These are the things that... That remember we talked the classes about the parable of the sower. And what does the devil come to do? He comes immediately to steal the word. It makes me sad tonight. No, no, listen to me. I, praise God. They're going to get it later in Jesus' name. They're going to get it later, right? But people have been here just about every class. They're not here tonight. Guess what? Satan is trying to steal this word from them. And he steals 100% of the word from us that we never hear. But listen, once you hear it, once you hear it, he's not through. He's, going to still, he's still going to try to take it from you. He's still going to try to steal it from you. He's trying right now to steal it from you. 
Because he does not ever want you to understand this. As long as you are ignorant about spirit, soul, and body, it gives the devil an advantage over you. As long as he can convince you that if you can't touch it, taste it, smell it, see it, feel it, whatever, with your outward man, flesh first, flesh approach, flesh first approach, flesh only approach, flesh first approach, whatever I'm trying to say, to life. As long as he can convince you that that's what's true and that's what's real and that's all there is, then he can manipulate you like a puppet. God doesn't look on all that. He looks on the heart. Now, uh, let's see this though, because I, that, that truth is truth, by the way, and it, and it goes both ways. In other words, you could have somebody who, who has a born-again spirit and, and baby Christian growing up in to, to God and, and struggles in areas of sin and commits sin. God sees the heart. Now, see, we, we sometimes like, oh, I don't know about that, Pastor Mark. He sees the heart. Right, so let me show you the other side of the coin. Somebody who walks around with their nose in the air and makes a big deal about all the people they've helped. Remember what Jesus talked about? They pray long prayers to be heard and seen. They fast, and when they're fasting, they mope around and want everybody to know they're fasting. Right? When they do something to help somebody else, they sound a trumpet first. I'm about to pay Billy's power bill. Everyone look on. I am about to pay Billy. Billy, bless his poor darling heart. He hadn't worked in six months. Can't get a job, can't keep a job. But if it wasn't for people like me, he wouldn't have electricity in his home, right? Is, he, is, the, is the person doing something good? I mean, yes and no, right? See, again, how do we answer this, right? So the, the behavior seems good, but the heart, God looks at the heart. And what did he say about that kind of praying, fasting, and giving? Whatever benefit they got in the moment is the only benefit, the only reward they're going to get from that. But what about if you pray in secret, not to be seen, but in, in, in going to your secret place and talk to your father in secret? What about if you fast and don't tell anybody you're fasting? And unless, obviously, I've had people ask me questions. Let me make sure, right? Obviously, if your wife cooks you supper every night, you better let her know you're fasting, right? Before she cooks you a three-course meal and you go home and turn your nose up at it, okay? So that's not what he means. He's talking about doing it for show, okay? If you need to let your coworkers know, hey, you know, I'm going to be spending some more time in the Word, so you guys go enjoy your pizza buffet at lunch or whatever, but I'm, you know... I won't, again, you don't have to make a big deal about of it, right? But, but again, and see, what did, he, what did he say when you give and you don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing? What did he say? He said, your father who sees in secret will then reward you openly. Amen. Reward you openly, right? So notice now, I've tried to give you two different scenarios where, you know, somebody's outward behavior, uh, how it appears, right? Oh, sinner, who does she think she is? Who does he think he is, you know? Can't even believe they went up into that church. Got alcohol on their breath, right? You know, and right. But see, again, you don't know their heart. You don't know their heart. They may have bought a case of beer, drank one of them, and poured half of it out and ran to church because they won't help. Amen. Heart versus somebody who's trying to, you know, other side of that coin. Look at what we've done. Look at who we are. Look at what we've given. Look at how much we pray. Look at again. It's the heart. It's the heart. Praise God. All right, now, let's keep going here. Thank you, Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
Verse 18, now all things are of God. Okay? There are some key words that you need to pay close attention to when you're studying the Scriptures, when you're reading the Scriptures, when you're hearing someone teach the Scriptures, or when you're teaching the Scriptures for that matter. Okay? And I believe that word N-O-W is, is one of those really important words. Now. If you read this in the morning, will it say yesterday? <laughs> Going to say now again, right? How about six years from today? Now. Okay. Now. Now faith is. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We could go on and on, right? You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So it's all these nows in Scripture. Why is, he, why is he having to point it out? Why is he having to say now all things are of God? Shouldn't it be obvious by looking in the mirror that all things are of God? No, he's having to point it out that now all things are of God because if you just look at the flesh, it's going to be hard for you to see how all things now are of God. He's talking about something that took place, a completed work that took place at the deepest level of your existence. Now, he says, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Notice the tense of the verb here. If you're not careful, your mind will take nows and make them laters. And if you're not careful, your mind will take past tense and make it future. It does not say who will reconcile us to himself, but who has reconciled us to himself. That's past tense for those of you who didn't care a lot for English class in high school or middle, whatever. Okay, amen. Has reconciled. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And has given, not will give, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So there where I finally got there. Um, what are we? Hour and 11 minutes into the class. <laughs> so, amen. There's a lot here. I'm telling you, I haven't even... Those of you who have been in this class before, we have not scratched the surface yet. Some of these we will spend a class and a half on, just one of them. Okay? It's how important this stuff is. The crossroads of many doctrines. So now we come to this truth of having been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And we have been so thoroughly reconciled to God that we now have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That is, so notice comma, lowercase t, the thought continues. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now the word of reconciliation is just a beautiful poetic way of saying God's word. God's word. And the word of reconciliation 
is how we are effective, is how we uh, carry out the ministry of reconciliation. Let me say it another way. You have been given the ministry of reconciliation, but your effectiveness in performing the ministry of reconciliation is directly connected to your ability to utilize the Word of God, which is the Word of reconciliation. Okay? I want to I just mention this. I've got some stuff deeper down in my notes because we're going to spend, obviously we're running low on time, but in next class we will expound more upon what reconciliation actually is. If we have time to do it tonight, we will. But before I go any further, because we're still now talking about these crossroads of many doctrines, okay? I want to talk to you just for a moment, though, about this idea of reconciliation. Re- reconciliation is this idea of replacing... The word in the Bible is enmity, E-N-M-I-T-Y. It means, it means disagreement, lack of harmony. So reconciliation is going from a place of enmity, lack of harmony, to a place of unity or oneness or harmony. Okay? Um, here is one use of the word uh, reconcile. Um, let's say that the uh, husband and wife are having uh, marital issues and they separate. Get with the Lord, go find a godly counselor, whatever, work through their issues, and then they come back together. We say what? That they've reconciled. So the idea of reconciliation is the reestablishment. Now that's a key word, not just the establishment, but reestablishment. Okay? The reestablishment of oneness and fellowship. The reestablishment of oneness and fellowship. That's that's the ministry of reconciliation. Okay? The reestablishment now, as that relates to human beings being reconciled to God, the question begs to be asked, how is it that it's being reestablished? Because for something to be reestablished, it has to have been previously established. Am I right about this? So again, you've got a husband and wife that are made one in fellowship and marriage that have issues, they go set part their separate ways, maybe live in separate houses, okay, whatever. Um, but then they come back together in, in reconciliation. They've been reestablished in oneness and fellowship with one another, okay? As it relates to you and me, the reestablishment, you have to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, amen, where God established, come on now, where God established his desires for you and for me. For that matter, we could take it even further. You say further. Well, we've already looked at so many verses where God knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He gave you purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began. We've looked at God's purposes for us being eternal, meaning they predated even the earth itself, even time itself. Amen. You can understand that by faith. Amen. It's hard for the meat computer to process that, but the heart... 
Okay, wow, it's destiny, right? This is, this is what God has, has determined. This is what God has, has chosen. It's what he's purposed. Remember the verse we looked at? He did this according to the counsel of his own will, meaning he, he didn't ask anybody else about it. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They got together. They agreed. Boom. This is what they desire. It's what they wish. And what they desire and what they, des- and what they long for where you and I are concerned is oneness and fellowship. That's why we were created in the image and likeness of God. We were created comparable to God so that we could be compatible with God. And then, of course, Adam and Eve went their own way. Jesus came to reestablish oneness and fellowship that was lost when Adam and Eve sinned. Okay? Now, I'm going to take it one step further tonight. I'm just trying to give you some idea of things we will talk about. I'm not going to try to get too deep into this. But when... Adam and Eve sinned, guess where we were? We were in them in seed form. It's kind of hard for us maybe sometimes to comprehend that. There's a class that we'll do called the power of seed. And we were in Adam when Adam sinned. That's why the Bible refers to him as the first Adam and refers to Jesus as the last Adam. We were in Adam when Adam sinned, so every descendant born from Adam was born of a corrupted seed. Adam was the fountainhead of a race of people. Are you with me? This is why, again, you must be born again. We've been literally born a second time, not of the corrupted seed of Adam, but of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Jesus came as the last Adam. And he became the fountainhead of a new race of people. And we are no longer in Adam, but we are now, come on, in Christ. Are you seeing this? So these things aren't just good Bible stories. This, this is the reality. But again, if, if we're trying to feel something, if we're, if, if we're looking for some external, uh, you know, I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, ah, sweet Jesus, I don't want to dig myself a hole right here, but... Obviously, the, it, it comes from the inside out. Amen. But if, if, you're, if you're waiting... All right, here, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. If you wait until you consistently live righteously to believe you have been made righteous, you will never live righteously. If you wait... I'm not trying to be ugly. Just hear me. How many drug tests do you have to pass before you believe you're free? <laughs> right? But see, that's a version of regarding the flesh. See, the day you were born again, you were made just as free from sin as Jesus is free from sin. But as long as you continue to believe that you are a slave to sin, as long as you continue to think like someone who's a slave to sin waiting for external proof to believe the internal reality, waiting for long enough good enough before we acknowledge the good that's in us. The Bible says in Philemon 6, acknowledge every good thing that's in you. Freedom is in you. You've been made free. How could everything be new, right, if he left off the freedom part? Well, you know, everything's new except for that that one part about being a slave to sin. That you got to work on that now. No. So, this is... <laughs> sweet Jesus. Amen. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying? Amen. 
So we Father created you for oneness and fellowship with himself, for oneness and fellowship with the Son, for oneness and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That's why you read at the end of Jesus' ministry, right before he went to the cross in John the 17th chapter, he's talking about our being one together with him. He's in us and we're in him and he's in the Father and the Father's in him and we're all in this thing together. And he speaks of, watch this now, he speaks of, Jesus speaks of himself, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and you and me and calls it us. Us. Dr. Neil T. Anderson says this of reconciliation. He says, God has a one-item agenda that can be expressed in one word. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Okay? So I define reconciliation again as being reestablished in oneness and fellowship with God or reconciliation with another person being reestablished into oneness and fellowship with another person. But let me tell you another way that I say God has a one-item agenda that can be expressed in one word, reconciliation. I like to simplify it. Are you ready? Daddy wants his kids back. He wants his kids back. He wants his kids back. He lost us when Adam rebelled against him. But when Jesus came, come on now. When Jesus came, thank you, Father. So do you, are you, another verse we've used frequently, but I'm wanting you to see. When the Bible says that he has forgiven you for his sake. See, even when we start to understand some of these things, we think, well, you know, God just finally had enough pity on us that he decided to forgive us. He didn't really care about us, but, you know, it's like, what else is he supposed to? No, see, he longs for you. He longs for you. He misses you. He wants you. He needs you. All right. Got one more now. I say one more. I got a bunch of one mores, but let's try to get a couple more of these in, okay? So here, let's, let's make another run and start at it, okay? Red Rover, Red Rover, send Pastor Mark right over. Here we go. You ready? All right. Therefore, therefore whoever thought that was... Have things not changed in our world today? Anybody remember Murder Ball? I mean, and Red Rover... It's like, probably one of the, I was among the biggest guys in my class, I, height, you know, and I was, for years, I was painfully skinny, you know, but it's like, um, you know, send, uh, send Patrick right over here to dislocate our shoulders, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, what in the world? But anyway, uh, let me get focused again here. All right. So, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's talking about you and me, amen? Say, that's me, that's me. You can literally say, that's me. Just a little feedback. Oh, y'all finally figured out what I'm trying to get you to do here, okay? All right. Old things have passed away. Behold, take a long and thoughtful look. All things have become new. Now all things are of God. If you read it tomorrow, it'll say now. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. He has reconciled. He has reestablished you in oneness and fellowship with himself through Jesus Christ. His completed work on the cross. One died for all and all died. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We're in the family business now. Jesus said, I've got to be about my father's business. We now are in the family and we're in the family business. And the family business is in the business of reconciliation, okay? Now, that is, that God was in, 
what did I do? That is that God was in Christ Jesus, was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Man, there's a lot right here. Let's, let's just real quick like. What Jesus did for you and me, remember this was the conclusion that Paul came to by the Holy Spirit, is that he didn't just do it for Paul. And he didn't just do it for the Jews. But he did it for every human being that ever has lived or ever will live. One sacrifice for all sin for all time. The propitiation, we'll look at that word. It's a big word like mayonnaise. It means taking the wrath that we deserved. And John is very clear about it. That Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. If somebody in this room tonight said, you know, Pastor Mark, I want to receive this gift of salvation right now. Would Jesus have to get off his throne and go back to the outskirts of Jerusalem and be crucified again so that that person could be saved? No. No. We sometimes have a hard time in grasping the, the truth that, that Jesus has already forgiven you for sin you haven't committed yet. But do you realize that every sin you ever have committed or ever will commit was all future sin when Jesus paid for it? He's one sacrifice for all sin for all time. That's why He has thoroughly reestablished us into oneness and fellowship with the Father. Because He's paid for all of our sin, not just the sin that you committed up to the point that you were born again, but you're not in part but in whole, as the hymn says, and confirmed by the Scriptures. Whew, man, it stirs me up. See, this is the good news that we have to go tell the world. Religion has convinced us that the good news the church has to go tell the world is that the world's going to hell. You're going to hell. Turn or burn. Right? I mean, is hell a real place? Yes. Will people wind up there? Yes. But not because God wants that. It's a choice. It's a choice that people make. But that's not the good news we have to go tell them. The good news that we have to go tell them is that Jesus has already paid for their sin. He's already made a way for them to be made new. That He's already reconciled them uh, to the Father because of what He's done. And in order to be reconciled back to the Father, all you have to do is accept for yourself what Jesus has done for you. Amen. That's the message that we have to go tell the world. And notice that it's, He's not imputing their trespasses to them. That's, a, that's another key doctrine that is lost on a lot of people today. But what he's literally saying, are you ready for this? What he's literally saying is that Father God is no longer keeping a record of the sin that people commit. Now, if we'd have kept reading in John 3 last week, we would have found out that there's only one sin. There's only one sin now that will ever send a person to hell, and that's rejecting Jesus. That's rejecting Jesus. That's why Father's not... And you say, well, that's just one verse. There's all Old Testament, New Testament verses. Blessed is the man, David said, to whom God no longer imputes iniquity. No longer keeps a record of it. Impute is, a, is, a, is a count, an accounting word. All right, verse 20. Come on now, we've got to get to this part. Now then, there it is again. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Man, this is, our, this is our ministry. This is our assignment. 
when we open our mouths using the word of reconciliation to speak to other people, it's as if the Lord himself is speaking through us to that person. And what's the message? Pleading, be reconciled, be reestablished in oneness and fellowship with God. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. An ambassador, an ambassador. That's not an uncommon word. An ambassador is a representative of a foreign government. Like, for instance, we have ambassadors in most of the nations uh, in this world. And those ambassadors represent the interests of their homeland on foreign soil. The Bible teaches, we've already covered it, we're in this world, we're not of it. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And Father sees you and me as ambassadors for our homeland. Our homeland is heaven. Unknown tongues is our mother tongue. Come on now, praise God. Tongues of men and of angels. Thank you, Jesus. And as ambassadors, come on now. Why don't you start like, you know, Ambassador Marty, welcome tonight. Amen. <laughs> praise God. Amen. Have y'all met my sister, Ambassador Lucy, back there? Amen. So we're ambassadors. How different is your life going to be when you look in the mirror in the morning and, and you don't see all that stuff caked around your mouth and eyes, but you see an ambassador from heaven looking back at you? Because of who you are. Finding out who you became today, you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. We're finding it out. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. You realize none of this would be possible if one hadn't died for all. So do you see how all of these doctrines coming together paint this picture? Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, man. For He, God the Father, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So we see this begins with the substitutionary work of Jesus, what Jesus did for us as us, and it, and it finishes with the great exchange. Jesus, for example, the Bible says, He became financially, He was rich, financially rich. He became financially impoverished so that we could become financially rich. He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He became a curse. We'll talk about all this in the days ahead. I'm just trying to show you the doctrine here. He became a curse for you and me so that the blessing of Abraham could come upon even the non-biological descendants of Abraham. You and me. Amen. It's the great exchange. All right. Now, we got a few more minutes. I want to read all these verses again, but I'm just going to read them. With the Lord's help, I'm just going to read them. <laughs> okay. But I want you to hear this from the Passion Translation. The Passion Translation. Okay. And I'll put them on the screen. Just kind of let it wash over you. Amen. Um, but praise God. Here we go. So, from the Passion Translation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, it says, 
For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us because we are absolutely convinced that he has given his life for all of us. This means all died with him so that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for him, the one who died for us and now lives again. So then, from now on, so then, from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. For that's how we once viewed the anointed one. But no longer do we see him with limited human insight. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. Verse 18, and God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. In other words, it was though the anointed one that God has, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. Now we are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world as though, as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf, turn back to God and be reconciled to him. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. All right. We're kind of at a stopping point, but let me, let me just a little bit more. Can you take just a little bit more? 635. Amen. Um,